just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic diseases. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. Dr. Jolene Brighton, welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me. And for people who are just joining, I have to say, just joining as in we've been talking for like 20 minutes. And these are always the best interviews when I when like we know each other. So I think I'm really excited. Are you excited? I think oh, people are I'm, in for a treat. I'm always excited. It's it's such <laughs> a passion project and I love doing these podcasts because you know, I just really, my whole thing is teaching people how to empower themselves. And uh, fortunately, I'm connected to so many industry experts like yourself uh, and some of our friends. And so uh, it gives me an excuse to have a cool conversation and certainly we'll share that light and love with the rest of the world. So Dr. Jolene, who, you know, female hormone expert, beyond the pill, best-selling book, uh, all about, you know, post-birth control syndrome. And certainly, you know, that's going to be the subject we have to dive into because as a uh, professional myself and, you know, my career is now a decade long. I'm celebrating my decade anniversary. I know (laughs) I'm I'm getting old, Jolene. And uh, so it's obviously any kind of health or functional medicine, holistic health, client, patient, generally 30 to 40 year old women, you know, they're more health conscious, they're more willing to invest in such services. And so I've consulted with probably hundreds of women, all suffering from all sorts of hormone imbalances and everything else, but with birth control. Uh, And certainly when I'm consulting with sometimes a 20 something year old female, and I'm giving my opinions on birth control, it's kind of hard to relate to a dude. So I'm super excited to be able to ask you know, the experts on these questions so we can shed light on what really just isn't a um, well-known phenomena, or at least not yet. And that's where you are really leading that charge of bringing this awareness to the mainstream and to the industry so we can do something about this. So let's... Well, wait, I want to say something. Yes, like please do. should recognize this right here. What you said is so, so important that you're like, I'm a man. So I have a hard time relating to what's going on and speaking to this. But just that acknowledgement is so important in women's medicine because so often what doctors are taught is really this this story of like, I know best, I'll tell you what to do, um, and I'm going to give you the treatment, I'm going to solve your problems. And that's great. We want someone to solve our problems. That's why we go to the doctor. But I think back to like before I had a baby. And the things I was trained in and the things I was trained to say, and mind you, I have a very holistic background. And yet I look back and I'm like, oh man, after I had my baby and the stuff that people, the same things that I said to people were being said to me, I'm like, that is not right. Like, and I'm like, if I could go back and slap myself for telling moms, you just need to sleep more. Oh, stop. 
job. You think we wouldn't be sleeping? Like if we could, we'd be sleeping. But I think that's really important because sometimes men come into this and they feel like one, they don't have a place in this conversation, which they absolutely do. And we can talk about that. But two is that they, they feel like maybe they shouldn't even talk about it because mm-hmm. like we might step on a woman's right or we might be misunderstood. And really, you know, birth control, yes, it's a women's health issue, but it is a societal issue. Mm-hmm. When we look at the fact that birth control influences women's behavior, mate selection, how they, how they, you know, are showing up in the world, uh, how their hormones are influencing their mood, their digestion, you know, all of these things, birth control absolutely influences every aspect of a woman's life and men are part of women's lives. And so I think that, you know, if you are a man and you're listening to this, there's going to be some stuff, some knowledge that we drop in this and you're going to be like, Oh snap, that makes so much sense of why that girl in college X, Y, and Z. And so to understand that, yes, men are part of this conversation at the same time, we have to enter into this, all of us through the lens of like, I don't know her experience. So let me listen. Let me let her share and hold the space so that she can share her experience. Mm, That was literally a brilliant intro. And I'm glad you pointed that out because you know, obviously we don't want to get too reductionistic and isolated on, oh, well, let's talk about, you know, hormonal biochemical pathways. It's like, no, we have to be focused on the big issue, which is a societal level issue when, you know, something that is, um, well, I don't even know the statistic of how many, you know, women are put on birth control, but we all see like, oh yeah, a girl turns 13, has painful periods. Now she's on birth control. And then someday later she's, 26 and weight loss resistance and infertile and cystic acne and you know fill in the blank Mm -hmm. it's like oh okay here so i'd love to hear you speak about that of just the um like your opinion on how birth control is being distributed maybe Mm -hmm. starting there absolutely so here's the first thing i want everyone to understand we absolutely deserve access to birth control and i think people get confused because they're like how can you talk about the problems with birth control and at the same time advocate for access. And it's like, look, there are problems with prednisone, but I would still advocate for access. There are problems with thyroid medication if it's misused or the type that you're using, yet you still need access to these things. So I think that we get ourselves in trouble with all or nothing thinking. And it happens on both sides. So the holistic health community are like, no drugs, all natural, all or nothing. It doesn't really work that way though. I call it the buffet. Like I want to step up to the buffet and be like, okay, I got drugs. I got surgery. I got herbs. I've got nutrients. I've got diet. I've got life. Like how amazing is that to have the array put in front of you and then to have someone guide you and help you pick and choose what's going to work best for where you're at right now. And In addition to that, I think it's really important that we look at, you know, the fact that women have graduated college at higher rates. We are now CEOs of companies. These historical things that have come into play that are amazing in women's, in the women's movement, part of that is because of birth control. And we do have studies to back that up. Uh, But the problem I see is when we pass a woman birth control for every single symptom she has, like when we treat it like it's the pill for every female ill. Mm-hmm. When we look at the United States alone, we see 11 million women are taking just the pill. 
So that's just the pill. We've got IUDs, hormonal IUDs. We've got implants. We've got rings. We've got patches. Those are less used than the pill, but together combined, they, they match the pill. So a lot of women being put on hormonal contraceptives. And what we've come to understand from the research is that there's really been this evolution where it started with, so in the 1960s, if you were married, you know, society, my goodness, if you were married, you could get access to birth control um, because somehow not giving access to birth control would stop people from having sex. That makes no sense. Like, this is where I'm like, I, lo- I like your idealistic um, idea, but we have to throw it back to the fact that we're mammals. We're humans. Like we are animals. And what do animals do? They procreate. It's what you're designed to do. So don't feel guilty about that. Now, in that though, almost 60% of women are using hormonal birth control for non-pregnancy reasons primarily. So that means that, you know, what used to be the let's delay pregnancy space pregnancies in the 60s became, you know, really through the 90s and lots of pharmaceutical advertising can be traced back to this as well, became if you have PMS, take birth control. If you have PMDD, take birth control. If you have PCOS, we'll regulate your period with birth control. If you have acne, birth control. You're experiencing hair loss? Uh, try birth control. And yet there's a lot of problems in all of this. So as you talk about that young teenage gal, so you start your period, it's not always going to be clockwork regular. Your brain and your ovaries are figuring out how to dance. That's the analogy I use. And anyone who has taken any form of dancing knows you're going to trip up. You're going to trip up. You got some moments where you don't get it right. It's a learning process. And there has been research by Dr. Geraldine Pryor demonstrating that it may take 10 years for the ovarian brain communication to mature. So that's the maturation cycle, which makes sense, right? Because the brain isn't really done maturing until our mid-20s. So if you're getting your period 13, 14, 15, then, you know, a decade later, well, that's when your nervous system has gone through its maturation process. Let's remember that the menstrual cycle is orchestrated via the brain. So if you take hormonal birth control to shut down your reproductive system and your menstrual cycle, that is working via your brain. So let that sink in, everyone, because so often we are told there are no causation studies, 100% accurate, no causation studies on birth control causing depression, birth control causing anxiety, birth control causing panic attacks. Yet women have been lining up, stating these side effects for decades now, generations even. And we have to recognize there is something going on at the brain level because that's exactly Mm -hmm. where hormonal birth control works. And that is where we are rich in receptors for our hormones. Now with that teenage girl, you come in with birth control to say, I'm going to fix your period. For people who are listening to this, you're missing all the air quotes and the snarky little faces I'm making. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, so you want to go YouTube, go YouTube, um, And in that, though, you're disrupting that maturation cycle, which is something that I hypothesize may be part of the post-birth control syndrome fallout when women say to me in their 30s and 40s, I feel like I'm a teenager again uh, because of my skin, because of my moods, because of my symptoms. It's almost as if that suppression, like, I hate to say it, but like maybe acne and everything that we go through is this necessary process of the brain ovarian access learning its dance. And when we interrupt it and we suppress it, 
you still have to move through it. You still, mm-hmm. you're going to come back to it. And that's where it's like not fun. And then your doctor's like, oh, you have acne? Just get right back on birth control. But that's not a root cause solution. And I ain't judging you. If you want to use it for symptom management, in my book, Beyond the Pill, I've got you covered. I'm like, look, mm-hmm. if you're going to use it, here's what we need to do. And we can talk more about that today. But I do want to talk about this piece of what we're doing with teenage gals a little mm-hmm. bit more. Because what we've come to understand from the research is that our, our adolescents are at a very vulnerable time to be introducing these hormonal medications that are, you know, my friend, Dr. Lara Bryden called it the first time I heard it, it's really, and everybody, if this is the first time you're hearing it, it's kind of a little bit of like a gut punch, mm. but let it just sit with it. It's chemical castration. It's temporary chemical castration. And when she said that, I was like, oh, because I did the pill for 10 years. And I'm like, oh, and I thought it was so clever in what I was doing, controlling yeah. my periods. I'll believe what I say I want to believe. So this is why I don't judge anybody because girl, I've been there. I've done that. Um, I did lots of dumb in my 20s. But, you know, when we do that to a teenage gal, you know, what we're now seeing, these adolescents are at the highest risk of depression onset. They're the highest risk of suicide, especially mm-hmm. two it peaks two months after starting hormonal birth control. And in addition, there was just a study that came out showing that if you ever used hormonal birth control as an adolescent, I raise my hand, you are forever at increased risk of developing depression. Mm-hmm. Like, these things are really heavy and we need to be considering this. And I had someone reach out to me the other day and say, my gynecologist, you know, my teenager, uh, t- you know, she's, she's a swimmer. Uh, she's really heavy periods. It's interrupting her ability to get into a pool. And in addition, she has period diarrhea, by the way, super common. You want to know why you want to know like what some tips that we can do for that. So totally. when you say these words to me, my first thought is, okay, we've got elevation in prostaglandins and likely estrogen dominance. And estrogen is stimulating the endometrial lining, the lining of your uterus to proliferate, to grow. And so then our periods get heavier. And in addition to that, there, there may be low progesterone, but if we've got cramps and we've got period diarrhea, which by the way, super common thing for women to experience, but we don't want to talk about it, right? Because nobody wants to talk about blood and poop. Like we just yeah. don't, right? <laughs> Um, but that's my life. I'm like, I work with women and then I have a six-year-old boy. So it is just like poop and blood and like all the talks all the time. Now there are these hormone-like substances called prostaglandins. They're awesome at helping your uterus contract to get that lining out also to help you get a baby out when it's time. But when they are super potent by way of being made via omega-6 fatty acids, they can cause horrific cramps and they will cause your bowels to contract as well, which is leading to that period diarrhea. So when you say that to me, I'm like, wow, what you likely need is a shift in your diet to more omega-3 fatty acids to reduce the omega-6 fatty acids. What teenager doesn't need to reduce omega-6 fatty acids? Says the gal who thought crumb donuts were an acceptable lunchtime meal at 14. (laughs) Um, And in addition to that, we likely need magnesium. And as we shift to healthier fats in our diet, we're going to get more vitamin E. These things will help you in lowering those prostaglandins, making them a little weaker. They still do their job, but they're not like, you know, overly ambitious and causing these contractions. And yet what would hormonal birth control do? 
would actually deplete you of antioxidants. And in addition to that, it would deplete your magnesium. It would deplete your B, B, B vitamins as well, like B6, which is going to help with hormone synthesis and also estrogen detoxification. And the other thing is that as women, we actually need natural estrogen to be able to take our plant-based omega-3 precursors and get them into EPA and DHA, which is what we get directly from fish oil. So if you're on hormonal birth control, this is where I advocate for fish oil, using krill oil, cod liver oil, sustainable this is very important. Sustainable harvesting is very important to me. Mm -hmm. But in addition, making sure that they're screened for heavy metals, things along those lines. But to put you on birth control, yes, it may, it's going to stop your period uh, if you want it to, or it's going to, because of how it downregulates the receptors in the endometrium, you won't get as thick of a lining. So your periods will come lighter. That may feel like a fix, but you didn't actually address the root cause. And that magnesium, if you like, so for example, if you're a swimmer and you're wondering why you're getting more cramps and you're not recovering post-workout, can come down to that magnesium. And there is evidence, and it goes back and forth, that birth control may actually impact your athletic performance by way of it binding up your testosterone and downregulating production. So I just went like fire hydrant style there with like tons of information. So how would I slow down and let you ask some questions? <laughs> I mean, I was just enjoying the ride because like I'm a, I'm a science nerd and mechanism nerd. And so, you know, I've never studied. Uh, it, it's like I've observed so much dysfunction caused by birth control. But I don't know the mechanism. So I loved what you're saying about the prostaglandins and downregulating arachidonic. I had no idea that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, prostaglandins were what stimulated like uh, uterine contractions. And so I was like, oh shit, like super cool. Um, but, you know, you're bringing up so many different uh, valuable points of how, you know, birth control, although, and that's where I love how you really kind of started with showing like, yes, I believe in having access, but and that's the big thing is obviously we live in a world today, our healthcare system dispenses pharmaceuticals left and right, antibiotics at everything, birth control at everything. One in six Americans are on some kind of antidepressant. We were just talking about the link of uh, birth control and depression and how likely you are to develop that. So, and, you know, well, let's talk a little bit about yeah. like, why is that? Because I think so often what happens is that people begin to vilify practitioners and mm -hmm. they're like, oh, my doctor, they only pass me birth control or this medication. So one is, if your doctor is taught and truly believes that birth control will help you, why wouldn't they want to prescribe it? They believe this is going to help. Yeah. The other thing is that we've been conditioned as a society, as a whole, to believe that there are quick fixes, there's mm -hmm. a pill for every ill, and in a lot of ways, it's because of that societal conditioning that there's a lot of people Maybe people who are not listening to this podcast, but outside of this podcast, like we, you know, in this space, we are a bit in a bubble, but yeah. people go to their doctor demanding that. We see for the common cold, doctors will prescribe antibiotics, although they know it is not going to help. It is not going to fix the problem of what's going on. It is because that person is in their office pressuring them, believing wholeheartedly, like, just give me a pill and not trusting the process, right? Mm -hmm. We believe mm -hmm. we should never get sick. Getting sick is actually a good thing. You want to give your immune system something to do. It's learning. Your immune system is like forever a toddler. It's always learning. And so, you know, in that, 
we also have to recognize our role. We have to start mm-hmm. taking personal responsibility as a consumer as well as like, how did we get to where we are? Why are we so frustrated with what we're being offered? Well, there was a time where it was better living through chemistry. And we believed that like everything that was synthesized in the laboratory was really going to be the fix. Hi, margarine. I'm looking at you. I grew up on margarine. I grew up on crunch crock and very much. I was afraid of fat. I was afraid of fat for like a good part of my life. And this is something to recognize that, um, I see a lot where people are like the wellness community cause they cause people orthorexia. No oh, yeah. misinformation and dogma cause orthorexia. And I say that as a former orthorexic woman mm-hmm. where my orthorexia was through messaging through the media, mainstream media telling me fat was the devil, having doctors rack that up. And then just going into nutrition and starting to study the USDA food pyramid. I was neurotic about eating six servings of grains every day, even though they made me feel horrible. And I ignored my body all because I thought this is what the experts had determined. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, in all of that, I really want us to recognize we, our healthcare system is the way it is because of all of us. We Mm -hmm. are all in this together. And so your doctor's not a bad person. They may not be the right person for what you need. And at the same time to recognize that yes, you have personal responsibility and that should feel amazing because that also means that you have power to create Mm -hmm. change. And in fact, healing doesn't happen often in doctor's offices. It happens at the grocery. It happens in your house. It happens the way you wake up. It happens the way you interact with your family. It happens with the company you keep. Like all of these things add up to, you know, make you or break you. Mm -hmm. And I think that We've forgotten that. Like, and I so often will be, you know, on Instagram, I'm posting, I'm like, I know this is not mind blowing and sexy, but odds are you're not sleeping. You're not drinking water. You're not eating your vegetables. And I could tell you about the supplements, the pills, the surgeries, all these things. But if you don't have the foundation, right, nothing's going to be right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I I harp on that constantly. And that's where, you know, we, we live in a very uh, kind of disorienting world and a lot of projection of ego. And I always talk about how, you know, the road to uh, self-understanding and self-acceptance and self-unconditional love, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a road of unlearning. We have to unlearn everything that we've been domesticated to and conditioned, you know, to believe. And so that's where, uh, you know, like, for example, I can't stand when it kind of becomes this conversation of, conventional versus functional i'm like no 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 that's the wrong totally. way to look at i'm that. right there with you, you. know mm-hmm. i call it the sandwich shop versus the ice cream shop and if you go to the sandwich shop and you're asking for ice cream y'all are gonna get really really frustrated with each other because they don't <laughs> they don't serve ice cream and ice cream's what you want and this is what happens when people are like you're talking about functional medicine. You're talking about naturopathic medicine. I took that to my conventionally minded doctor and I was like, why can't you give this to me? Because that's not how they're trained. You need to go to the ice cream shop. You get ice cream when you need the sandwich, circle back. They got you. And that's the thing that I think it goes both ways where we definitely have, um, we have, you know, the holistically minded crew who are like, oh, functional medicine uh, is the best. And, you know, conventional medicine's failing us. And we have the conventional medicine that's like, oh, you know, there's no scientific evidence to back that up. And, and I, like, it cracks me up. Somebody the other day was like, hey, this person on Instagram was like, there's absolutely no evidence to back up Vitex. And there's never been a study done. I'm like, 
there's been randomized control trials done. Like this is just someone not going to PubMed. Mm -hmm. So, but it goes both ways. And really like the way forward is together. Like it's something that, you know, my son has a chronic illness. We have conventional functional medicine, naturopathic. We've got, I mean, we've got a team surrounding him. Like I want all of those people. You better believe when, you know, we got hit with the allopathic and mind you we were in Paris at the time there's not a lot of functional medicine providers we found that out being there Mm -hmm. um but I mean I have to say they're pediatricians they're pretty amazing they spent an hour with us on and you know when he said like abrupt behavioral changes we have to rule out a brain tumor um that was almost a year ago I was so grateful for the neurologist who could get us in with an MRI who could interpret all of that for us, who could talk us through all of that. And people were kind of, there were some people who were like, I don't understand. You're a natural doctor. Why would you even do that? And like, again, it's the buffet. Like, Mm -hmm. and you can't know what's best for that person in that situation until you explore your options. And so that's something I really appreciate about you. That's the only company I keep uh, these days. If people are really rigid in their mindset, just everybody listening, if somebody's really rigid in their mindset, that's going to break you down eventually. But in addition to that, like when people, I mean, when people are like, oh, I hate medical doctors. I mean, some of my best friends are medical doctors. And people are like, oh, I would never take a pharmaceutical and judging people for that. I'm like, I take nature throid every day. I have Hashimoto's when it was mm-hmm. discovered, my thyroid wasn't doing its job. Like I'm super grateful for that. And, you know, Anybody who's really dogmatic in that way, I just don't keep that company because we're trying to make change in this world. And the way we do it is together. And this division and this separation and this building, building platforms, communities, audiences on hate, like that's easy. Triggering yeah. people's hate, getting people to hate on each other, that is fish in a barrel, easy old story. I want to be part of a new story that brings people together with, you know, yeah, maybe people are going to be like, she's a total hippie, but brings people together with love, with this yes. concept that what's true for me might not be true for you. And I can respect your decisions knowing I'm not walking in your shoes and you can respect my decisions. And that there are no wrong answers when you're making the best decision for yourself. There is no place for judging one another on all of this. And if I'm not for you or they're not for you, you just walk away and you you acknowledge that. You don't have to come at them and and hate on them. And because they say something that conflicts with what you're saying, that doesn't mean that like that's an insult to you directly. They mm-hmm. probably like, especially in the age of social media, like they probably don't even know you and know about any of that. And so that's something that I really see is problematic of why. We haven't had the change that we need in medicine and women are out there and that's who I primarily work with. They're begging for it. And Mm -hmm. because of not getting the true informed consent and the screening exams, some of them are even dying because of it. And we really can't afford to lose another woman because she didn't get a true informed consent because she was dismissed when she went to the ER thinking she was having a heart attack. And that, you know, the things I'm talking about right now, The research acknowledges this. The research is well aware that women die of higher rates than men from heart attacks because they're more likely to be dismissed. The research acknowledges that 
when doctors, before they even go in the room, if there is a F on that chart, it says female, they've kind of made up their mind a bit. There's this medical gender bias. They're going to step into that room and be like, it's likely in her head. She's probably just stressed out. It's a throwback to hysteria. And mm-hmm. as much as we think that we've evolved medicine past that, there's still a generation of doctors where hysteria, and they're practicing, where hysteria was kind of still part of that paradigm. So I love to collect old school medical textbooks. And I have one from 1956. That's not that old school. Um, that still has, it's an endocrinology book and it still has hysteria listed in there. So we have to recognize that um, as much as we like, we might come across a doctor who graduated like two years ago and they're so woke or you're listening to these podcasts and you've got these woke doctors, there are still lots of doctors and it's very insidious who have this idea about women, about hysteria, about it being in our head. And there's, I mean, so much so that like, prominent medical schools are changing their curriculum because they're like, this is problematic. Women are least likely compared to their male counterparts to receive adequate pain care and have their pain taken seriously. Ask any woman with endometriosis, how long did it take to get the diagnosis and actually get someone to help you? Ask a woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm-hmm. how many doctors? On average, it's a couple years and several yeah. doctors they have to go through before they get their di- the diagnosis. This isn't because we don't have the technology. It isn't because doctors don't have the skill. It's because we're not listening and we're not taking women seriously. And that's really, if we can't listen to one another and hold space for that, what hope do we have to change medicine in that way? Mm, That was, you threw down a lot of pretty powerful truth bombs there. And I love what you said about the only way forward is together with love. And, you know, as you were speaking, made me think of kind of that, the meme that's like, you know, within your soul, you've got two wolves fighting each other. One's full of anger and jealousy. The other you send one's... that to me. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, I'll send that one to you. And you know, which which wolf wins? And it's like, well, the one that you feed. And so certainly, you know, playing off fear and kind of this, let's divide. Now we are a tribal species. So I think there's some evolutionary influence on our, you know, kind of, um, one hundred percent. You know, we tend to we tend to do that kind of this us versus them sort of warrior mindset versus scout mindset. Let me observe, and so I like what you're saying. And ultimately, the buffet and in practicing individualized medicine. You know, the practitioner of tomorrow needs to walk the patient around the buffet and present the options and educate. And that's where, you know, something that uh, I'm really passionate about is functional medicine you know, I'm worried about it turning into a, a luxury service, just very expensive. And, you know, we're not in a place with our society and world where we can really afford for it to be a luxury. So that's where I love the people like you, you created a book, you know, and a book cost what, like 30 bucks at the most. Right you know, now then, on sale on Amazon. <laughs> boom, right. You know, it's like, here's this book that you can empower and educate yourself, you know, and it's, a low price point that could easily guide somebody from, you know, wherever they're at, uh, lost and dark to, to light again, because we well, have to be And the way people. I wrote the book is I really designed it. So it's like, okay, you could get this book at 14, troubleshoot and use it. 24, troubleshoot and use it. 34, 64, you still have a liver, you still have a gut, you still have adrenals and thyroid. And so, you know, I didn't write it. So it's just like, oh, it's just for everyone. But I wrote it so that it was a manual you could keep 
going back to. And in that, I wrote it so that you can understand what you can do personally, but like my, um, you know, chapter four, which is all about solving common period problems and hormonal issues. I talk you through, okay, this is your problem. This is what it might be. This is what you can do about it right now while you wait for that doctor's appointment. Here's what to talk to your doctor about. And here's the labs to get so that you can take some personal responsibility, but you can also know how to navigate getting the support you need from your doctor. And I really wanted it to be something that like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have, I actually just donated tons of health books that I've had for like a decade. And so many of them, I read it once, that was great. And then I moved on because I really couldn't use it again. And that's something that I'm like, look, if people are going to invest in this book and I love books, I want this to be something they go back to time and again. It's why it's full of quizzes, quizzes for your liver detox, quizzes for gut health, quizzes for your hormones, quizzes for your adrenals, quizzes for your thyroid. So you can go back and really troubleshoot what's going on because so much that lands us in trouble in our health, it really the daily practices of mm -hmm. like us making a choice, a choice to move through, you know, towards being well or being ill. And it's all a choice. And like I said, you know, simple things like shifting your fatty acid profile via your diet could fix your period and comes with like no side effects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And so, you know, I wrote Beyond the Pill to really be the book I wish I got the day my period came and the book I had to consult when I was faced with, do I want to use birth control? The book I wish I had while I was on birth control to stay safe on it, to know when to talk to my doctor and the book I needed when I came off and found myself with post birth control syndrome and not sure what to do, you know? So I went to my doctor who told me I likely had PCOS all along and gaslight for the win that I didn't actually remember how my periods were and that my memory was wrong. And I'm like, when you count down your periods like doomsday because they own you, you bleed for seven or more days out of the month. You can't go to school. You can't function. You bleed through your clothes. Like when that's going on, you remember that your period came every single month for you. And yet my doctor was like, you probably are misremembering things. You probably just have PCOS. I can do an ultrasound PS, not how you diagnose PCOS. That's not as accurate. Um, and they never checked my blood sugar, never investigated. And being a nutritional biochemist, I'm like, okay, so I know how to leverage nutrients to fix things in the body. And I know how lack of nutrients can actually uh, cause big problems in the body and manifest as disease. And that is something that I fell back on. Plus being in naturopathic medical school, being able to be like, okay, I'm learning about herbs. Let's uh, leverage some Vitex. Let's bring in some black cohosh. Like let's bring some rhodiola on because I'm in medical school. My adrenals mm -hmm. need some love for sure. And so I was able to marry my background, which is really food is medicine and bring that into what I was learning in school, figure all that out. And the cystic acne that I developed the first time in my life, the missing period, like all those things went away. I mean, how scary is it when you come off of birth control and you're told your entire life that it has no impact on your fertility? And yeah, we don't have any studies to say it has long-term impact on your fertility. But when I came off, my period went missing. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted a baby until I came off of birth control. And I was like, 
I might not be able to have a baby. Like mm-hmm. what now that choice has been taken away from me because I'm not ovulating, I'm not bleeding regularly. So these are really the conversations that are coming up every day in women's lives that for the most part, medicine's been dismissive of. I mean, we're mm-hmm. told there's no studies to support that there are long-term consequences of hormonal birth control. Right. There are no studies. That is the key point that you need to dial in on. Not that like lack of evidence means that like it's not a possibility. It's just lack of evidence. And mm-hmm. that's the thing I think most doctors who are out there being like birth control is fine and very flippant, very dismissive of women. That that really is the thing I think stings the most because mm-hmm. when birth control is not fine for you, when you do have mood symptoms, when you're experiencing post birth control syndrome, when it is not okay for you, and then you you see you see your doctor, they say, oh whatever, there's no issues, there's no studies to support what you're saying, or you see it on social media, or you read it on a blog, or you hear another doctor talking about it it makes you feel bad. You're like, okay, I'm broken. I'm the problem. And I'm crazy because I think it's birth control. But the messaging I'm getting is those symptoms are in your head. What did I say about birth control and how it works? It works via your brain. That lives in your head. (laughs) So with all of that, I think it's just really important that we all wake up to the idea Uh, or to the truth that women are being dismissed Mm -hmm. based on lack of evidence, but because the the evidence just hasn't been pursued. So we actually don't have long-term studies to show what happens when a woman gets her period at 13 and we leave her on birth control until 53. And this happens. I've had these patients who have never ovulated on their own. We don't know. And we need to be curious and we Mm -hmm. need to be humble because what I see so often, so I've been in the health and wellness industry for 22 years now. When people are so rigid or are so dismissive or like there's no evidence, therefore they are, they are generally on the wrong side of history. And this is the thing that I really try to hold myself accountable to. And I will ask myself, like when I feel that visceral response of wanting to be dismissive of something, this is human nature, by the way. And it takes some like next level check yourself because Mm -hmm. when I come to that, I'm like, do you want to be on the wrong side of history? Do you want to be on the side of history that was ripping out women's uterus, uh, you know, women, woman after woman doing hysterectomies? Like, do you want to be on that wrong side of history? Do you want to be on the wrong side of history when medicine was sedating women and removing babies from their bodies? Because we thought that like, you know, after the entire human species being here and existing like forever, that women couldn't do this on their own. Like, do we want to be on the wrong side of history? I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, which is why I really step up to these things of like, I will prove myself wrong. I, you know, there are times where, you know, I have patients and I'm like, I don't know, there is no study on that, but believe what you're saying and I'm going to investigate and I'm going to help you figure it out. I may never know exactly why this occurred, but are you better? Fantastic. Like, let's keep moving in that. And so I look at a lot of these doctors who are in places of influence, who are dismissing women's stories who are trying to put the hush on me. That definitely mm-hmm. happens. Good mm-hmm. luck. Like mm-hmm. no one's been able to do that. Obviously <laughs> people listening right now are like, she never stops talking. 
true story. Um, I finally have embraced that. It's something that I used to be like, yeah. I used to feel really bad about, like people would be like, oh, you talk too much. And I'm like, yeah, I do sometimes. And at the same time, if it's too much, it's just too much for you. But there's mm -hmm. someone else that's going to be helped by this. But you know, back to what I was saying before my tangent, it's just to recognize that, you know, whatever you're experiencing, if you decide it's not normal for you, that's truth. And don't let anyone dismiss your story. Mm -hmm. And just because there's lack of evidence, well, let me tell you something, how research works. It's very, very expensive to study a woman. We base a lot off of animal studies in a, in a lot of things to get started, one, because of the expense, but two, because there are ethical issues with studying women. And I think this is really important to understand because Sometimes, you know, when I'm lecturing uh, to healthcare providers, people will say, well, you're this is an animal study that you have, and we don't actually have a human study, and I only will change things clinically if it's a human study. And I'm like, okay, except eggs live in my body. That's future human potential there. Messing with that, that's unethical. Mm -hmm. And so we have to recognize that like the best we're going to get in some regards are animal studies because mm -hmm. it is unethical to study a woman in that way and potentially affect future, future generations. Like that's not ethical. And yet, as I say that, I'm having this moment of like, I'm like, what, what are we doing with birth control? Um, <laughs> this is, you guys are witnessing right now where I'm like, Oh snap! Like this just like like raised another thing for me of like, what are we doing with? We don't actually know all of this. <laughs> this is like totally a moment where I'm like, oh god, yeah. I'm having a realization of like, what are the ethics surrounding that? I think that is a question, and yet you know, at the same time, I do want to acknowledge that people, you know, as I brought up this stuff about teenagers, like unintended pregnancies are non-negotiable for some people. Mm -hmm. This is not lost on me. My mom was a teen pregnancy. That's where I came from. So this is very close to home for me. Um, and, and I'm being a first generation college student. I'm like, yeah, this is important. And yet at the same time, I think we can hold the importance of having access to birth control. But we also hold the importance of asking these difficult questions and being okay that perhaps we've been wrong. That perhaps what we told women in the 60s wasn't correct. And what we're telling women now in a decade may not be correct. And I think that really plays into what you said before about the ego mm -hmm. and how a lot of ego can come through. And sometimes people aren't okay being wrong. We have to be okay being wrong in science. We have to. Mm -hmm. It is the only way that we free ourselves from bias and answer new questions. And by the way, where do the questions come from that we need to ask in science, especially in medicine? It's from what our patients are saying. Mm -hmm. So when we develop a drug, we cherry pick a population to go into that study. Then to get statistical significance, um, even if it's not drugs, but this is how we make money to be able to publish more studies. That, that requires excluding some people from the studies and having these favorite, there's a statistical bias that mm -hmm. happens. And, you know, in 2019, 2018 and 2019, we've seen a lot coming out in terms of how many scientists have been falsifying data so that they can move up in positions so that they could keep their funding so that a drug could pass FDA. That's really, that's not science. That's mm -hmm. ego. That's not okay. And it's also a, it's like also an issue with how the system's set up that like only if you're showing favorable data, we're going to keep funding you. 
sometimes it's really helpful when the data is like, yep, nope, shut it down. Because then we know, like that's mm -hmm. helpful information as well. But for people to understand that, you know, we go through that. So we cherry pick a population, we put them through a funnel in the study, and then we get that statistical significance. And it applies to a narrow range of the population. When do drug trials really start? When you introduce to the general population. Mm -hmm. So I think when we talk birth control, it's important for women to understand that birth control is developed for a healthy female in her reproductive years wanting to space pregnancy or delay pregnancy. And yet it's being used for all of these conditions. So like polycystic ovarian syndrome may present with acne and acne sucks, but nobody dies of acne. So we've got time to work on that. And yet she might be past birth control with no discussion of what's going on, only to allow what is inherently a cardiometabolic disease. So we've got insulin dysregulation, we've got inflammation, we've got higher risk for elevated cholesterol, hypertension, so high blood pressure, um, stroke, heart attack, diabetes, all of these things, that's allowed to progress because we didn't have that conversation with her. Can she use birth control? Sure, she wants to use birth control, there's screening labs we should be doing, make sure she's staying safe. We can have her eating in a certain way, taking certain nutrients, living a certain lifestyle so that she stays safe while she's on hormonal birth control. But the way birth control is being used now is never really the way it was designed or intended. We're even seeing women being prescribed it for perimenopausal symptoms. I've had women in their 60s come into me on hormonal birth control. And what the doctor has said to them is that when your period stops, we'll stop birth control. Mm. I'm like, that was never a period. That's a medication-induced withdrawal bleed. A period follows ovulation. You're not ovulating. Mm -hmm. Your brain and ovaries aren't talking. You're giving a medication, taking away a medication, giving a medication, taking away a medication. And so this is really problematic because hormonal birth control, as we advance in age, we also advance the risk of cardiovascular events. We used to think that birth control was good for bone mass. Studies are starting to show it's not. Why? Well, because like you need your natural hormones for that. But in addition, you know, testosterone is a key player. Hormonal mm -hmm. birth control is a synthetic progestin. So it's like progesterone, what wants to be progesterone, but it'll never be progesterone. And um, I kind of want to get earrings. I think one of progesterone and one of progestin. And so I can just yeah. be like, look, they ain't the same. You They're can different. see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Um, made by molecules is a company that does jewelry. Ooh. I actually, they sent me an oxytocin necklace. So I'm like, uh, maybe I'll do that. Cause I'm such a freaking nerd. I just outed myself. Totally. <laughs> Things that make me excited, but you know, it's synthetic estrogen, synthetic progestin. Progestin doesn't give the same benefits as progesterone. There's no testosterone in that. Testosterone is our wake up, kick ass, repeat hormone. At least that's what I call it. Because when testosterone goes low, we are not feeling joy in our life. We are feeling usually depressed. We are crying over everything, which is super lame because as women, we always get labeled as overly emotional. Uh, newsflash, humans are supposed to have emotions. Those are normal things. It's part of the human experience. It's why we're here. Um, and this like dogmatic, like shut it down. I'm like, this is from a gal who very much embraced her masculine for a very long time and was like, I'm not, I didn't smile for like a period of my teenage years. And I also was like, no one's ever going to see me cry. Um, then my son got sick and I'm like, everybody's seen me cry now. 
Um, but you know, the other thing with testosterone is it helps with bone mass, cardiovascular health, and brain health. So we haven't answered the question: What happens when you take birth control? And it downregulates testosterone production from the ovaries by as much as 50%. Then it causes genetic alterations in the liver so that it expresses more sex hormone binding globulin, mm. which is a protective mechanism. This is your body. It's like, girl, I got your back because all of these hormones are not good. The pill alone is a high enough dose of hormones that you take it orally. You digest some of it. Some of it makes it in the large bowel, which is why there's a whole chapter on gut health and why it messes with your microbiome. But when it gets absorbed, the liver then takes a crack at it and is like, I'm going to detox this. That's my job. Mm -hmm. And yet it's still enough to get through and shut down brain ovarian communication. So for women listening, the question I get all the time is, well, my doctor said I'm on a low dose. Mm-hmm relatively speaking to the doses that we started with that actually killed women because they were so high, we had clots, issues like that. And we actually saw that the first movement of feminists and birth control was against birth control because Mm -hmm. of what was happening to women. That's a part of history that often gets left out is women fought against the birth control that was being offered because of what it was doing. It was killing women, it was making them incredibly emotional, hijacking their life, one of the major reasons why women ditch birth control like when they start it and in the trials is because of mood alterations. So mm-hmm. isn't that interesting? Clinically, doctors are like, there's not enough evidence. Yeah, there it is in the package insert. That's what always cracks me up. When people are like, where are you getting this information from? I'm like, package insert. <laughs> Pharmaceutical company told you. It's yeah. right there. So you know, I think it's really uh, important for women to understand that this alteration in the genetics of your liver expressing more sex hormone binding globulin Sometimes you'll hear people say, body betraying you. Believe me, when you go through beyond the pill, you will not believe that story ever again. Your body's not betraying you. It is increasing sex hormone binding globulin to gobble up these hormones because too much of a good thing is just too much. Mm-hmm. And yet when it does that, it grabs onto your testosterone as well. So bye-bye, libido. Mm-hmm. This also impacts muscle mass. So testosterone is important for muscles. This is not only athletic performance, this is not only like how well you're doing in your Pilates class, but it also comes down to like, what's up with your pelvic floor? And, uh, you know, are we, so women who um, start birth control, the younger they start more issues of what gets called sexual dysfunction. I hate that terminology because I really think it's sexual physiological adaptation mm. that's happening. And um, so in that, you know, this is something that can lend itself to, you know, issues with orgasms, issues with sex, pain with sex. And then also, you know, if we don't have that pelvic floor muscles, like not only is it like important so we don't pee ourselves. every mom is going to be like, uh-huh, I hear that. Um, <laughs> I took my son to this big trampoline place and I was like jumping on trampolines and I was like, oh my God, if this is like not the test of your pelvic floor strength, like I don't right, know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was jumping and I was like, this is something my 20 something year old self took for granted. <laughs> right, right. I did not have issues. If anybody's like, what's she okay. saying? I did not have issues. Um, these are the nerdy things I think about. Uh, but you know, I think it's just really important for us to understand that, well, testosterone can lead to acne, hair loss, um, hair growth on our chin, chest, abdomen. These are problems. You do still need testosterone. And there's this myth that testosterone is a man hormone and estrogen is a woman's hormone. Guess what? 
estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all sex hormones in all sexes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's across the board. It's just the ratios that are different. It's yeah. just the ratios that are different, but we need all of these hormones. And when we are working with our body, we actually come to recognize that our hormones give us superpowers. And this is something I shout about all day, every day, because for 10 years I was on the pill thinking my hormones were how my body messed with me, betrayed me. It was like the curse of being a woman. This, this is, where did this come from? Not from my own head. This came from messaging that I chose to accept. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was a little bit subconscious because like, will you know when you're 10 hearing that stuff? And yet, like I had to do, and we, we talked about this before we started recording about like programming and like you have to like, you ha- I, I see it as like, um, so I went through this traumatic brain injury in 2016 and I spent a lot of time in HBOT mach- um, machines and a lot of time meditating and I'm, I'm someone that like when, when shit hits the fan and when you are in this bad place, I'm like, what's the opportunity here? Like problems are always an opportunity for creative solutions and, mm. and for some growth. And it's actually my friend, um, Sayer from Green Med Info, who was like, stop calling it a head injury and start calling it your brain reboot because it was an awesome thing that happened. And as I was meditating, there was a lot of stuff that like, so my, my poor little like fully functional brain uh, now was like, I got to take a hiatus and heal. And yet there's a lot of stuff that started to come out from my subconscious. And I really just saw it as like, um, just, I'm a gardener. So I grow a lot of my own food of like uprooting things that no longer served me and taking them out of the garden. They were just depleting the soil and really seeing those, um, you know, those, those neurons being pulled out and rewiring and reconnecting and choosing new highways. And so in a lot of ways, like going through that was really incredible because that's a lot of what we have to do. So if you're thinking like, how do I just change my mindset? That would be nice if you could just change your mindset. It's really something that takes practice. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I tell women to do all the time, and really everybody listening, everybody should be doing this physically write down your symptoms and your concerns Mm. before you go to a doctor or before you talk about it with anyone else. So whether you are old school like me, I love me some pen and paper, or you want to type it into your phone. Why this is important is that as you start shifting stories and you start writing your new story and your new truth and what you're experiencing, if somebody tries to come in with their story and insert that, you it's it's harder to do. If somebody tries to gaslight you, so you're in the doctor's Mm -hmm. office and they're like, no, you're misremembering this. It's very hard when you pull up your phone and you're like, nope, I got it written here. I am Mm -hmm. not misremembering because when we don't write it down, we can get lost in our own mind and people Mm -hmm. can create that influence. But, you know, I say all of this because there's not one of us that doesn't need some deprogramming Mm -hmm. that hasn't, you know, been exposed to some kind of messaging that's actually holding us back from reaching our full potential And, you know, for me, a lot of my work is around hormones and reminding women that your hormones actually give you superpowers. You can lean on those. You can leverage those. There is no, I just was on Instagram live yesterday talking about how there is no weaker sex. There is no men are, men are, you know, weaker because they can't multitask and their corpus callosum doesn't bridge their brain the way women do. And it isn't that 
oh, women are weaker because they're overly emotional and they're cyclical in a monthly cycle and you can't predict it. You can 100 predict it, predict it. That wasn't even a word, predict it. <laughs> but in that, you know, we have to understand that like, we're actually meant to go together. We're like salt and pepper. You want us both on the table. Totally. Like we are like meant to complement each other. So what is perceived as one person's weakness so let's go back. I love that you brought up the tribal stuff. So let's go back to like tribal living. Cause let's like, I wish we evolved a little bit more. No, I don't. It's fun being an animal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so many le- like when things happen and you're like, Oh, that's just my primal self coming out. Totally. Okay. So men hunters, right. For the mm-hmm. most part, that's why men do really well on keto. And that is why men can fast and like men can do these things that Women try to attempt and they're like, I don't feel right on this. Some women can totally do keto, by the way, and some women can totally fast. Like, I'm not saying that they can't. But when you look at that, men actually went out for days, didn't eat, go, 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 kill an animal, start eating. Like, that's that's when we get access to things. Women are in the camp multitasking everything. How much food do we have? When do we have to send them out for the hunt? Like, how much, you know, of X, Y, and Z do we have? Is everybody warm? Is everybody taken care of? Like they helped hold the tribe together. And because of the way that their brain is structured and functions, they can multitask better. And that means holding multiple thoughts in their mind at the same time. Like, how is this person going to feel about this? And also what's their physical needs going on? And like, how is that going to affect so-and-so? But also holding the community together mm-hmm. and holding the container. Because before we got the messaging that we need to be autonomous and all this individualism, um, which is great, but now like now look at where we're going in health, especially, oh, community is everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We are communal animals. And yes. so women were not out hunt- hunting traditionally, and they were you know, making sure that the unit functioned as a whole. Like the unit wasn't individuals. It was an organism functioning mm-hmm. as a whole. Men would go out they would come back. Everybody had their roles. And Mm -hmm. so this is something that when you start viewing it in this way, you stop seeing dysfunction and you start seeing what is really happening is that we haven't evolved. Like there is an evolutionary mismatch. Like we haven't evolved like as animals to walk around with computers in our hands every day, yet we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Also, no long-term studies on what the heck is all that going to be oh, doing to us, right? I know. <laughs> but in all of that, you know, I think about something like, so um, the MAO gene. So for people who are listening, this is, um, this is really an enzyme. This is how we clear our catecholamines. And yet some people have these alterations and they don't clear catecholamines. This is me. That means if I get really stressed out, so um, I was at IFM. There was a water slide, lots of water slides. And there was one that was just like a drop, a shoot. And my friend's like, let's do it. Let's do it. And I'm like, if I do that before getting on a plane, I'm not sleeping when I get home. I'm not going to be fun on that plane. Like I can't clear my catecholamines in the same way. If I get angry, now part of this is I grew up in a big Mexican family. So if I get angry and we get, we like, I am going to be loud. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be really animated. Um, and yet it's going to take me some time to move through that. So I, I know jump squats, move your body. Like in all of that, I could get the messaging from society that like, 
you're just overly anxious and you are too volatile and like, you just need to calm down and like, I'm broken. Yet I recognize that with my genetics, had we been in a tribe and somebody came to attack our tribe, mm-hmm. my genes means that I wouldn't stop until they completely retreated or they were all dead. Mm-hmm. My genetics keeps the tribe safe. In this modern day and age, I'm not chasing people down and I'm sure as hell not like fighting and doing things like that. So I have to look at like, what does my primal self need? How do I have to adapt and give it what it needs? If you're somebody who is like, when I get stressed, I grind my teeth, I clench my jaw, right? Because what do you want to do primally? You want to bite something. Give yourself a carrot, bite it. Like there's ways to start to adapt to this. And um, are you a Game of Thrones fan? Yeah. Yeah. So I love Game of Thrones. I actually took off my Game of Thrones sweatshirt right before this. And (laughs) (laughs) I know I should have just wore it. Instead of my moons, my moons. Yeah, yeah. So in that, the Night King comes and they have to fight all night. And Winterfell is going to fall, right? Who survives? I could guarantee, and I'm sorry, spoiler. Um, everyone who survives has an MAO defect because they can go on catecholamines, can't stop, won't stop. Mm-hmm. And they're going to they're gonna be like, glycogen, got you. Break it down for my muscles, break it down for my liver. Fat, we're going to oxidize you. Let's start using you for fuel. And they are the ones who can battle for 24 hours and hold it down mm-hmm. against all odds and not stop, not only for their own survival, but for everyone's survival. That I'm like, when I was watching that ep- episode, I was like, oh, they can't clear catecholamines. And what are catecholamines? Epinephrine, norepinephrine. And for women to understand that if you don't drink water, you don't sleep, you're skipping meals, your adrenal glands can kick out panic button, okay? They hit that panic button. It may be cortisol, but it's also going to be epinephrine, norepinephrine. Mm-hmm. And when epi and norepi hit our system, it's a very good thing for like, let's get blood flow going. Let's get some calories broken down to like useful like energy. And yet when they hit the brain and you are not in a place where you can, you're going to fight or you're going to flight, uh, you may freeze, but those catecholamines, they cause your brain to freak out mm-hmm. because this is the evolutionary mismatch. I don't see a threat. I don't smell a threat. I can't hear a threat. Again, hi, we're animals. Um, Some people hate it when I say that. And I'm saying it a lot in this podcast. (laughs) But in all of that, your brain is like, I'm getting panic signals that we're going to die and I can't see the threat. So I don't even know what to do. Let's Mm -hmm. freak out even more. You know what Mm -hmm. that is? That's anxiety leading to a panic attack. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's so simple of like, just do jump squats or just run around. But for a lot of people, that can really help. And that's where, you know, some people are like, I start to get anxious and I can't deep breathe. I'm like, can you run a 15 second sprint? Cause I guarantee you will deep breathe. If you do that, like, are there other ways we can get around that? And that's often when I'll tell people, you know, yes, passion flower can help. Yes. GABA can help like a liposomal GABA. You can take those things, but don't, don't expect that to be the end all be all take those things, move your body. Take those things deep breathing. Like you need to bring in the other practices. Maybe you listen to binaural beats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those. Or sound bath works for people as well. But you have to find a way to 
you know, the passion flower, the GABA, the L-theanine can help disrupt the physiology, but you also have to disrupt your pattern as well, right? So where are those neurons going? Neurons. So for everyone listening, um, are you in Southern California? I'm in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. So I just think Southern California freeways are really poorly designed in some places. Yeah. And that can be your neurons. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. whereas like in Portland, we have grids. So we have grids. It's really easy to figure stuff out. And so think about your neurons. They are highways and roadways, and you can build them haphazardly to freak out, or you can start undoing all of that. And just like road construction can take some time, mm-hmm. you can undo all of that. So that really the roadway is more like, hey, we freak out. And then what we do is my body goes into deep breathing and I start to move my body. And 90 seconds later, I'm rolling out of this and I'm feeling a lot better. But this is the stuff, again, it's not just going to be one pill. It's not going to be a quick fix. It is going to be compounded actions over time that creates Mm -hmm. tremendous change. And everyone listening can 100% do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's the inherent power of choice that we all have. And, you know, um, first off, I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time because I, I know you've got uh, stuff to do. So we are a little bit over in case. It's okay. I've got like 20 more minutes if we okay. want to keep going. Cool. I'm not, I don't know. I feel like I'm in a flow right now and I'm really I know. talking to you. <laughs> I I am loving it. Like first off, just woke level 100 and I love how uh, you just fearlessly speak your truth and that's something that I am big on. But you just tied this big band on so many different layers of, you know, you very articulately illustrated neuroplasticity, which is something I love riffing about because if we can shape the neural networks of our gray matter, we can then have that downstream effect on the physiology. But also, you know, as you're saying that about, yeah, you know, you can disrupt your physiology through kind of these functional medicine biohacks or whatever the hell you want to call it with kind of the, oh, let me take this to downregulate that. But at the same time, it's like, well, we are animals and we have a lot of emotion and what's emotion? Well, energy and motion. So if we're penting all of that up and we're not letting that energy flow, you know, and that's kind of the big thing today. And that's why with this show, I love to, you know, we're combining functional medicine and the spirituality, the energetic, because that's really what it is. And that is that holistic lens. So I love hearing you riff about all that. And I don't want to interrupt that by any means so keep doing your thing it's lovely listening to you oh thank you yeah we'll see maybe i don't talk too much (laughs) so um i do want to say though you know with the catecholamines um i think what's really important too uh i want to share this because so um do you have an aura ring i don't oh my god i got an aura ring i was i'm like i am so in some ways, I'm an early adopter, but on some things, I'm a late adopter, and the Aura Ring was definitely one of them, and data tracking and mm-hmm. uh, uh, with, you know, using these devices, but I got an Aura Ring, and um, I'm going to be sharing, so people definitely stay tuned. If you're on my email newsletter, you'll definitely hear about this first, and I'll share some on Instagram as well, but um, I've been tracking, I'm tracking, like, through my menstrual cycle, like, my sleep, brain function, like, I'm, I'm you know, correlating some things for the end of one, which is me. So I can get dialed in on my data. I love biohacking. It's um, like when I have my practice in the Bay area, it's so many biohacker patients. Like people are like, 
how'd you get into the biohacking community? I'm like, I practiced in the Bay Area of California. <laughs> like everyone's a biohacker. Um, so with my aura ring though, what was really interesting is that, so I'm an international speaker, which means that I'm on the road a lot traveling and I like really have to guard my sleep. I don't function. It's not fun. No one wants to see me without <laughs> sleep. And so with my aura ring though, you know, I was experimenting with like, well, what about melatonin? With melatonin, I actually don't get into deep sleep, which mm. melatonin, I will say, is not just for sleep. It's also a really important antioxidant. Mm-hmm. We know in like nurses studies and people, night shift workers with inadequate levels of melatonin, they're at higher risk for cancers, especially things like breast cancer. So um, melatonin is also really protective of our ovaries and our fertility. So just because I'm saying like, it didn't help me with my deep sleep, and I tried, um, I tried liquid, I tried capsule, and I tried liposomal. Not as good a deep sleep. What actually helped me was my adrenal calm. And my adrenal calm is all about bringing down catecholamines and cortisol at night. Now, I wear, everyone knows I like, I almost live in amber glasses. <laughs> They're like, my, my father-in-law actually, um, he was like, oh, you're wearing glasses now. I don't know if that's like a badge of honor. Like, oh, you're old now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, you're wearing glasses now. And actually the only person in my family who doesn't wear glasses, woohoo! Um, I, I blame that on uh, my obsession with Bugs Bunny mm. as a child and how many carrots I ate. Yeah, <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, but, you know, in that, my adrenal comp, so actually focusing on bringing down cortisol and bringing down the catecholamines, I get much better deep sleep when I'm taking that. And so does that mean I'm not going to take the melatonin when I travel? No, probably. I'm probably still going to take it. But I wanted to see one or the other. If I'm faced with, I only got so much room in my bag, or TSA might jack this, or like, what, like, I don't want to take a bunch of pills. I'm not feeling well. Like, what should I really invest in? What's true for me? And it was that adrenal calm, which has mm. L-theanine in it as well which is lovely. And then it has things like passion flower, which stimulates GABA receptors in the brain. So that can help you get into sleep. And it's got like B vitamins and minerals to help the, the pathways and what you do naturally. And what I thought was just really interesting about that is that I could go to the downstream, which is the melatonin and mm-hmm. just be like, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Or I could go upstream and support what my body is meant to do naturally. And it was that upstream approach that actually worked better for me in getting that deep sleep. So mm-hmm. if you are someone who is falling asleep, feeling like wired and tired, so your body's exhausted, but your brain is going, or like you're having night waking, or you are tracking your data and you're not getting into deep sleep, you may want to consider bringing in things that actually help facilitate your body's natural ability to bring down cortisol and to bring up melatonin. And in Beyond the Pill, I, I talk a lot about circadian rhythm and how, how to safeguard your circadian rhythm. There are studies that go back to the 70s showing that when we're exposed to artificial light, it actually disrupts the, it, you can actually use light to affect ovulation. It can disrupt the menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, y'all, this is the 1970s before there were LED lights on every street corner. And before you were rocking one of these in your hand, looking at it every night, and then like all of these devices. And so this is a question we have to start asking ourselves. You know, it's interesting to me that, um, so I talk about in Beyond the Pill, the correlation between moon cycles and menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. And this has been, so where did I get this information from? I got it from eclectic old school midwifery books. I'm not even kidding. Like what an old medical textbook nerd I am. 
for my honeymoon, my husband took me to a rare bookstore that was like in Canada, nothing but like this whole section of old medical textbooks. Uh, they were so like amazing. Um, but it was, I, in my, uh, naturopathic college, they had a rare book room. So I went in and I'm like, Whoa, all these midwives, like the OG women's medicine practitioners, um, who eventually got called witches and then burnt and we lost some of that. That was lame. Um, shame on you medicine for that. But in that they were making this observation of like women who menstruate or ovulate with the full moon or the new moon cycle. Now there are lots of women in my practice who are synced up in the same way. I hear a lot of this online and yet, um, there are, there's even a prominent period uh, app company that puts out information saying, no, women do not sync their cycles with the moon. And I'm like, okay, firstly, I want to see, I want to see data of what you're saying. Are they on birth control? Cause then you bleed whenever. And that's a good portion of women are on birth control. I mean, if you look at like who's using these apps, it's probably around, you know, the hundred million women who are taking hormonal birth control in the world are probably on these apps. Mm -hmm. The other thing is where do they live? Are they living in a city where they're exposed to light all the time and they never get exposed to natural light cycles? What are, what are they, how are they safeguarding their circadian rhythm? Are they exposing themselves to light? Are they night shift workers? Are they looking at their computer and do they wake up in the middle of the night and then pull out the, uh, you know, Instagram and they're like, let me just scroll my feed for a bit. Um, are they waking up in the morning and exposing themselves to natural light or are they doing the screen rise? A new phenomenon. You also need data on this. When you roll over and you look at your phone first thing in the morning, that's not good for your health. I'm just going to say, it's in my book. I'm like, mm, that can't be good for your mental health to like first thing, let somebody else insert their agenda into your day. You have to own first thing in the morning. Like that is, that is your time to set the tone for the day, to own your day. But in all of this, you know, there's people who are dismissive and this like kills me because there are women who are like, no, but this is true for me. And yet they're like, oh, there's no studies. You guys are making this all up. I'm like, yeah, centuries. Mm -hmm. making, making shit up, guys. Um, can we just stop with that? And yet there's a lot more to it. And I think that the people who are dismissing the moon cycles are not understanding that like this comes down to light and how that is impacting how our brain is communicating to all of our glands. We know our organs. Hi, Chinese medicine. Good job, guys. Forever. You've been saying organs are on these clocks. Organs have their circadian rhythm. Turns out now science is starting to validate that. Like we are starting to understand like the pancreas doesn't produce digestive enzymes like it does during the day after 8 p.m. Oh, wow. So maybe there is something to this intermittent fasting thing. And maybe this is why some people have SIBO and they can't get rid of it because they're eating at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And so this is the thing that I think that when, whenever we see like, okay, there are thousands upon thousands of women sharing a universal story who have never met each other. And then there's this one source of data that dismisses all of that. To me, it doesn't have as much weight and it actually opens up. I'm glad to have it because it opens up so many more questions. Like, so what if you live in the country versus whether you live in um, a city? The other thing is women's cycles sinking together. Now, this is something that I personally experienced when my mom and dad split, bought a divorce, and then eventually my cousins moved in. Suddenly, there's no pads and tampons in the house at the same time. It didn't start out that way, and over time it did. We all ended up on the same cycle. 
that's an anecdotal. That's my personal evidence of this. Mm-hmm. Women have described this forever. Now, this actual, um, you know, uh, this period app collected data, they presented this study and said, this is not a thing because some women who live together actually end up on different cycles. And I'm like, and there's wisdom in that. So here's the thing. We don't all bleed on the same cycle. Tribally speaking, do you want all these women menstruating at the same time? That would be a really bad idea. Why? Mm -hmm. Menstruation is an internal time. We are supposed to slow down. We are shedding our endometrium. That's arguably an organ. That's a big deal. So Mm -hmm. you should rest. Um, back tribally speaking, they also believe this is a time when the veil between like the spirit world, the guides, the ancestors, God, whatever you want to call it. And that woman were thin. So they would put her in a tent. They would sequester her, not because she was unclean, not because she was just too emotional because she had some downloading work to do. She had some work to do that was going to better the tribe, that was going to move people forward. We still need to be practicing this today. You want to get some clarity on where you're supposed to be in your life? You know, the day before and the day of your period, shut off from people, isolate, go internal. And I don't say isolate like in a negative way, like go internal, do your internal work, shut down the noise. But while women were bleeding, there were women who were ovulating. And they were caretaking the women who are bleeding and vice versa. And so this is where I talk about in my book, like the white moon goddess and the red moon goddess. And I'm white, rocking my moon shirt today um, is that we have these different roles that we're feeding into society. And so don't take studies at face value. And if a study comes out and it's saying like one thing, but that's not true for you, honor your truth. Mm-hmm. Science has limitations. We have limitations in how we study, but we have extreme limitations in our understanding of the natural world. Why has Chinese medicine said something for hundreds and hundreds of years and science is only now validating it? Our yes. technology, our open-mindedness, our mm-hmm. ability to actually understand these things better. But look at how naturopathic, functional medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, how they work. It is not one pill has one effect. That's important for... That's really important for pharmaceuticals. One pill has one effect and here's all the other side effects. Um, we need to understand that. But when it comes to these approaches, it's holistic. Mm-hmm. That is not as clean to study. And when it comes to women's health, that is even more complicated to study. And so we come in from this modality. Like I am not going to see a patient and just hand them a supplement and see what happens. It's going to be diet, lifestyle, maybe supplementation before we have labs. And it's all about testing what is true for them and understanding so that we can build a user manual. And mm-hmm. that's really what I tried to do in Beyond the Pill is help women build that user manual to their body. No food is bad, okay? And if people are like, well, what about junk food? Is that even food? <laughs> like, that's the question. But when we we got to this place in nutrition science where it's like fat is bad, Cholesterol is bad. Salt is bad. These like good and bad. This is what mm-hmm. happens when you eat it. You're either good or bad. No, mm-hmm. it's just information and it's data and it either works for you or it doesn't work for you. And that's where they really want to help women come to understand. You don't need a guru to tell you how to live in your body. You mm-hmm. do need a guide to help mm-hmm. you navigate the road, but you are going to take those steps every day which is why you 100% own your outcomes. And I always have this mantra in my clinical practice that I do not heal my patients. 
I teach them how to heal themselves. I don't own their failures. I don't own their successes because I'm not with them every single part of the day. I am their guide. I can show them the roadmap. I can help them to understand how to take the steps, but they have to take those steps for themselves. And that is something that for my own personal journey and my own personal experience with like being a sick kid and everything I've gone through that I realized was the most disempowering thing to me is when my doctor would be like, I gave you this. Oh, I fixed you. I'm the best. And like, okay, I, you got to feel good about the work you do. And at sure. the same time, I'm sure. like, but you weren't there when I decided that I needed to eat more vegetables and you weren't mm-hmm. there when I did those things. And I think that we can't ask for patients to have personal responsibility without also crediting them for all the work that they're doing to heal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You literally just, you know, spoke to the the mantra and, uh, you know, empowering them. I always like to literally when I do consultations, like I've won today, I always explain like, yo, I'm here to be like your, your spirit animal on this guide to self-healing. You know what I mean? I like that. I used to say Sherpa, but then I was like, I was, um, I was looking up something about, uh, Sherpas and I was like, oh, they carry everything. Okay. I can't say Sherpa anymore. Cause I'm not going to care. I got carry my own baggage, mm-hmm. but I can help you, you know, yeah. ditch some of your baggage. So the journey's a little easier. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll hold your hand maybe part of the way. Like I'll, I'll take those steps with you. I'll be there every step of the way, but, uh, you gotta do it. I'll coach you. And, you know, I describe it that way too. And, uh, it's like you, you know, you're, you're not going to go on a safari in Africa by yourself. You're going to have like a safari guide so that you don't get eaten by a lion. So, uh, I'm really, you know, I love the way your, your brain works. I love your heart. You are just, uh, everything about that. I love how we looked at it through the lens of evolution and, you know, uh, something that you said that I always find myself thinking on is how, yeah, our, our technology and our understanding, our curiosity, well, yeah, the more we investigate with science, the more it's really just validating what we've practiced for a long time and what we've kind of intuitively known or felt. And so it's, again, that unlearning of let's get back to with, coupled with our new understanding. So I hear that you have a soft cover version of the book coming out in February. What's the scoop on that? Yeah. So it'll be out the first week of February, which is really, really exciting. Now, I love, I actually sat down and signed like 250 books yesterday of the hardcover. This is the behind the scenes author life. Nobody sees, but they're like, we need a bunch of signed books. I'm like, all right, on it. Um, but you know, I love soft cover books because they travel so well. And like I said, I travel so much and I'm really excited about that because, you know, with the soft cover, it's going to be all the same information, but it's also going to decrease the price even more than a hardcover book, which is going to be a lot more access. And I wanted to just shout out to Harper, which is my publisher, because that's exactly what they wrote to me. They were like, we're really excited to get this soft cover out because we want this book in as many women's hands as possible because they, I just want to say like, my publisher has believed in me from day one and the work that we need to do. And that's a rare find um, to actually find. I mean, what I'll say is that when I put this book proposal out, so people don't know, you put out a book proposal, then um, there are publishers that like are like, all right, I want to hear you. And really, when it came down to it with Beyond the Pill, it uh, people started dropping out left and right. And it became only five houses that wanted to meet with me which was, um, there's this 
quick moment where I was like, wah, wah. But then there was that thought of like, well, this might be an opportunity. Let's stay Mm -hmm. open. And Mm -hmm. what ended up happening is that every publishing house I met with, the, the lead on it was a very strong woman, a very strong woman. And the people who had said, we actually don't want this meeting and we don't think this is going to be a great book um, for women. They were all men who said birth control really isn't an issue and women don't really want to learn about birth control. And so it all worked out just the way it should. And Mm -hmm. so in February, the book will come out and uh, it'll be the soft cover version, everything that's in it. You can get it right now on audible. You can get it on, uh, well, like any audio version they even have CDs of it, um, which I was like, oh, that's novel. <laughs> like, I don't even have a CD player. I was going to say, I don't either. <laughs> I know. Um, and, uh, and so right now it's the hardcover, but in February it'll be the softcover, which means that we'll see a price reduction. And the name of the game is like, let's get this out even more. And then really exciting is that it is being... Um, is going to be published in a lot of different languages coming up soon. So through 2020 and into 2021, uh, watch out Europe (laughs) taking over. Um, and I really, I really want to see it get, um, translated into Spanish. Like that's something I really like to see, but the demand has to be there. So if anybody is like wanting to put the demand out there, definitely do that. Um, cause I would just love to see this book get in as many women's hands as possible. And it, I have to say it blew my mind when Beyond the Pill came out. So I was in Paris. Not only people who were with me in that journey know that my son developed an autoimmune condition of his brain that leads to neuropsychiatric issues. We were in Paris. We had to be there for three months. The book came out while I was still in Paris. So that meant like doing all the things, big bang with the book, like wouldn't happen a lot of like, so you, you write a book and then people don't tell you, you have to also market a book. Mm-hmm. And, um, you're like, Oh, well, how am I going to do that? My audience and the number of women who showed up for me, I mean, because of them, they, and this is the thing I wrote the book, but it's the women who raised their hand and said, I want change, who bought the book, who shared the book, who are creating the change. We are not going to change women's medicine because of me. We're going to mm-hmm. change women's medicine because of women demanding better from patients going in and talking to their doctor and being more educated and empowered in that discussion. And to see Beyond the Pill pop up in Japan, the Philippines, Colombia, some countries I had to Google because I was like, where is that? Like, I don't even know. I'm not yeah. very good with geography. I'm going to own that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to see Beyond the Pill went international, yeah. like within weeks of it coming out and just seeing like, I mean, women who were buying the book, like buying like a dozen books and shipping them to other countries because they couldn't get it yet. So when the book came out in January, people in other countries had to wait until February to get mm. the book. So there was a delay there and there were women in the US. I don't even know who I'm supposed to share this, but they were <laughs> shipping books. They were buying books and shipping them to other countries so that their family members, their friends, that women they cared about, women who were buying books and donating them to um, d- uh, domestic abuse shelters, so women's mm. shelters, um, putting them in their gynecologist's office, gifting them the gynecologist. Do you many gynecologists I've heard from? This is like, this is why when people bag on medical doctors, I'm like, dude, they gave up so much of their life in the name of service and to help you. And don't lose hope because I have had gynecologists who've been practicing 
15 years, 25 years, write me and say, I am changing my entire practice based on what I'm learning in this book. I'm going to do better for my patients. They want to do better. They need the education. That's why I'm out there lecturing and speaking at so many places to support doctors getting access to this education because they do want to do better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at my first book signing, shout out to Abby Epstein and Ricky Lake. I just want to say, like, I watched Ricky Lake when I was like 13. Um, Oh, that's, I'm not dissing her when I say that, but (laughs) like, I would come home from, like, I would go to a friend's house and we'd be like, watch Ricky Lake. And um, for her and Abby Epstein to offer to host my first book signing when I was at IHS in New York, I was like, I got to get back. I got to get my continuing medical education, keep my license up because I've been in Paris. And um, they hosted my first book signing and there were so many gynecologists in New York that showed up. And we're like, I love your work. I love, I'm now like, um, there was a gynecologist who's like, I am now actually taking this nutrition course at Cornell. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm changing things because I want to help and serve my patients. Like that's the kind of stuff that like, you only write a book because you can't not write the book. You're like, I have to write the book. Um, and yet you know, like, just to see the way it's impacted women's lives and how it's influenced on the level of practitioners and on patients and mothers who are like, I gifted, this is, this one like really got me. I want to kind of tear up this mom. She got the book for herself. And then she was like, no, I need to gift this. I need to give this to my 19 year old daughter. And then what she found is that her 19 year old daughter was reading to her 16 year old daughter for my book every night. And they were sharing that information. And so that is something that like to see generations of women in the same household, being able to write a new story of what it is to be a woman and feel empowered to make the best decision for themselves. Like that is what gets me out of bed in the morning. That is like everything. That was beautiful. That really, congratulations so much on everything you're doing. And we, we all need you to keep doing it. So, you know, protect your energy so that you can keep doing what you're doing. Or a ring on lock. I know. (laughs) Totally. Totally. It's, it's been so amazing to hear um, your wealth of wisdom. And, and, and I love how it's, it's such this holistic evolutionary broad. I mean, you're touching on all aspects of the psychology, the spiritual, the medical, um, all tied together. And you, you know, you really are, uh, making a dramatic impact. And so certainly, uh, we will be sharing all of this. So, but it's, it's really just remarkable. And again, this is, you know, you really are living this mission, which is exactly why I was like, I got to get you on this podcast. So thank you so much for, for joining me, sharing your light and love. Uh, and certainly I, I'm sure your lecture will go wonderfully at A4M and I'm sure we'll get to run into each other a, a few times this coming year. Um, for sure. We all hang out at yeah. the same conferences, right? Totally. Totally. <laughs> so guys, if you ever want to hang out with us, you just got to find a functional medicine conference and like, exactly. yeah. and you'll usually find me sitting on the floor at some point, which is really, people are always like, why are you on the floor? I'm like, I love sitting on the floor. Like I, I think it's part of grounding. Oh, by the way, like that's something that like I was taught in naturopathic school, grounding, earthing, that people were like, y'all are crazy for doing that. You do walk first thing in the morning, like born out of like Germany, Father Knipe, um, lineage. And now, now science is like, 
oh, earthing is a thing. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to, I love me some science, but I am not going to wait for you guys to catch up. Okay. Yes. I'm going to do me and I'm going to do what feels good. And yes. I encourage everybody to do the same. Like do what serves you best and mm -hmm. crowd out the noise. Cause you live in your body. You yes. know what's true for you. So Thanks so much for having me. This was such a great discussion. I really, really, I knew this was going to be good. Yeah. Um, when we were hanging out at A&P and I was like, oh yeah, I really want to do that podcast. And when you, when you wrote in and my assistant was like, you are really booked. I'm like, nope, I want this one. It's going to be oh. good. Like, I just know the conversation is going to be good. So oh. thank you so much. Oh no, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, we had an energetic moment at A&P. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. So I'm glad we were able to hang out and really get into the weeds on the convo and share that light and love and i can't wait to vibe out in person and yeah. got to get carrie there and we'll just all have a nice little powwow <laughs> that would be great and that's dr carrie jones if you guys don't know Absolutely. she was my fertility instructor in school i love her i've known her forever yeah. um and thank you again for the holistic savage shirt because i love that especially as i outed myself with the mao and the catecholamines and can't stop won't stop very savage in a lot of ways oh but yeah the holistic savage i love that shirt people you would totally. love it when i wear it on social totally totally embody the holistic savage so i'll let you get back to your day so you can go continue changing lives safe travels i can't wait to see you soon and again thank you again we will we will talk soon my friend thank you take care see ya have a good one